Well, welcome to Tomatly Talks, episode seven. Uh, if you listen to episode six, uh, forgive me for my emotions. Uh, I told Stuart, I said, "Man, you pick some tough questions." And so, uh, uh, when you live a, when you live an experience, and you reflect back on it, the truth of that experience is raw. You're not hearing it from someone else. You're talking about what you lived. And so truth is raw. So I told Stuart, give me five minutes. He did. He gave me three and a half. And I said, let's go on and do uh, episode seven. And uh, so here we go. Episode seven where in Tomatly Talks, Stuart Guthrie is going to pose questions to me that you've posed to me on my reply channel. He picks them. I don't. All right. Give me a break. Try to stay away from the emotional ones for <laughs> okay. at least 10 minutes. Yeah, so these two first questions I've got in order relate to the law. Ah, the and, law. And uh, so Space Cowboy begins by asking the question, who inspired you to become a lawyer, Lynn? Space Cowboy. I, I like that movie, if people remember it. Uh, the decision to become a lawyer it's interesting i talked in episode six about how i had given a sermon at age 14 and i remember when i was standing at the door with the pastor as everyone was leaving that they'd come by and shake your hand and everybody said well you've been called by god to be a preacher and i said well i i've already made a decision that i want to be a lawyer so i don't know if i was inspired by atticus finch and to kill a mockingbird or maybe even watching perry mason but i I always had this feeling that I wanted to be a lawyer. So there was no one person that impacted that decision, but there were a couple of people that certainly influenced my life as a lawyer. One was a lawyer named Manley Brown. Manley was a lawyer that agreed to represent my dad and took a significant reduction in fee. He was one of the, his firm was one of the premier criminal defense lawyers in Georgia, if not the Southeast. And uh, I remember how much I've, respected him because I was a 16-year-old that was in trouble with my family and what had happened with my dad, and he brought a reassurance to me and a a level of comfort, and I thought to myself then, boy, I hope I can be a lawyer and do this for my clients, what Manley Brown did for me. There was another lawyer named Paul M. Hawkins. Paul's father was a Methodist minister, and Paul Hawkins was a trial lawyer. People say, well, I'm a trial lawyer. Watch out. There are a lot of litigators. There are very few trial lawyers. Trial law is an art. It's not a science. You can learn to be a competent lawyer in court, but you can't really be a trial lawyer. That comes from just an instinct, a gift from God, to kind of know when to do something and when not to do it. And, and uh, you know, we can all chop up a witness on cross-examination, but a, tr- a true trial lawyer knows they can do it, and they know when not to do it. It's just that type of an instinct. And Paul Hawkins was great. He was a trial lawyer. I had seen him try a case when I was a young lawyer in Macon. And then as it turned out, when I left Macon and moved to Atlanta, uh, I ended up working at his firm, Freeman and Hawkins. And he's the lawyer that got me involved in medical malpractice. I was doing trial work, but a variety of uh, type of insurance defense trial work. I tried a lot of cases as a young lawyer. I was able to get into the courtroom. And that benefited me over the course of my career. So Paul Hawkins was the guy I would call my mentor. And Manly F. Brown was a lawyer I would call my inspiration. 
But I think God just gave me that feeling back as a young man in my teens that, hey, you're going to be a lawyer. So here I am. I'm still a lawyer, <laughs> although the state bar is keeping me from really actively practicing right now because I can't in good faith take on a new client, even though I'm competent and able to do it. Wouldn't be fair to a client to have this cloud hanging over my head. Uh, so I have to tell people no now, and it, it hurts me. Even though I wanted to retire, I still always envisioned that I would periodically try to help people in my area of specialty, even as an advisor or, or strategist, maybe sometimes go and take some testimony. I love, I love to cross-examine witnesses. <laughs> they don't love it so much. Hmm. Well, good. So second question, Jen Patterson asked, was there a case that ever made you question the integrity of the rule of law and our system? Well, you know, my first 20 years doing medical malpractice, I can tell you that you didn't do it because it was easy. It was tough because the law and the general feelings in the community did not like people suing doctors. Uh, boy, that's changed, hasn't it? There's a lot of it need to be sued now. Uh, so it was always kind of a David versus Goliath. You were the underdog going up against a member of the medical community or a hospital. And uh, I didn't always feel like that the clients got a fair shake because the game was a little bit stacked against them. But when I got into the Richard Jewell case in 1996, I know that in the lawsuit that I filed for him against the Atlanta Journal and Constitution, a case that I litigated for 16 years, five years after his death, I never gave up. I saw some appellate court rulings and even a trial judge ruling when he changed it. And the law that they used to get to the, re to get to the result I think they wanted to hold Richard as a public figure when he was clearly a private figure at the time of the false accusations. They were trying to get to a result, and they manipulated the law to get there. And that was my first real taste of, of what I would say is you're getting away from the rule of law and you're allowing politics and money to get involved because the Atlanta Journal and Constitution was owned by Ann Cox Chambers. And uh, while its logo had changed, it still was known for being able to cover Dixie like the do. So I think... Richard and I were up against some very wealthy and powerful people, and I candidly believe that the decisions of those courts were they were wrong, and it impacted uh, Richard's ability to be successful in that case. So that was when I began to see more uh, politics and money in uh, practice of law, and I never liked it, and I, I saw. I saw money come into play with young lawyers when they started paying them way too much out of law school. And I saw the practice of law slipping into becoming a business and not a profession where the drive was to get money when it should always be to put the interest of the client first. So Richard Jewell taught me a lot, both as a person and as a uh, lawyer. As I've said before, Richard changed my life. Uh, Richard Jewell was a hero. And he was a good man, and he was horribly treated by the FBI, and he was horribly treated and accused by the media. They both did it to him together. So I've, since that time, as I said, focused primarily on First Amendment work against the media, and then got into the 
fraud in deep state area with a couple of cases of fraud, Medicare fraud in 2014 and 2015. My greatest success as a lawyer was in the Davida case. Davida is the Hebrew female for David. And as I say now, God gave me my greatest blessing financially in the Davida case uh, that I resolved in 2015 uh, for $490 million. But now don't panic. I didn't get a third of that. <laughs> the client gets a relator's share, and then we get paid out of the relator's share. But it was my largest financial blessing. I always did well. I had, to, I had my first year, I started my own law firm. Uh, I think I netted $1,500. Things did improve, uh, but I was never out to make money. I just wanted to make enough to have a comfortable life, provide for my family, and some measure of success for my future. Uh, but when I took on uh, the DeVita case, I left a uh, lucrative partnership that I'd been in for three or four years at uh, Powell Goldstein that had become Brian Cave and that was turned into an 1,100-person firm, and I was suffocating. I didn't like it. So I jumped to the opportunity to leave the firm and take the DeVita case. And uh, it was a gamble because I ended up going through all of my savings and my retirement to keep the firm going uh, so that we could battle uh, a big player corporate-wise. And, in fact, I know now we were battling the government, who did not intervene and I think it was political. It's interesting because at the time of that case, the U.S. attorney in Atlanta, who had not taken it on for the government, but the clients insisted that they wanted it handled, and the lawyer that was representing them hired me to do it. That was Sally Yates. Name sound familiar? And old Sally was excited when we were doing well, and it looked like I had turned the case into a moneymaker for her to get a press release out to say that the U.S. attorney's office in the Northern District had recovered X millions of dollars for the taxpayers. It settled after she left. And then all of a sudden I found out that when they were trying to negotiate the share for the relators, it was old Sally Yates who was trying to cut us to the bone. So I learned a lot about Sally. I praised her when I first found out she was the deputy attorney general. And then I found out who she really was. And uh, since then I've learned a lot more, so I'm not a Sally Yates fan. All right, <clears throat> a very common question, and we're going to attribute these questions to uh, the person A.S. and Jackie. And All right, A.S. and Jackie. That's right. So both want to know, the first question was, do you ever imagine falling in love again? And the other one is, do you ever want to remarry again? <laughs> <laughs> well, I've been very candid. I don't lie. I don't go into the details. I've admitted my – I always said I was a great father – uh, I wasn't such a great husband. Uh, I had four divorces. Uh, my last marriage was 25 years, and uh, my ex-wife and I remained friends, but for some reason in the last couple of years, I don't, I don't hear from her anymore. Uh, so I committed uh, the sin of extramarital uh, affairs. Uh, the devil got me by lust, the flesh, but I... I tried my hardest in my last marriage to make it successful because I knew that I was tearing up and impacting the lives of my children. I have four children, actually five. My, I don't, haven't seen my first child since uh, she was one year of age. I gave up my rights to her because I thought that it would give her a life to grow up where she wouldn't be in turmoil fighting with her very wealthy family against me trying to see her. And so 
Uh, I've been condemned for that for many years, but people didn't understand that I was really giving my daughter a blessing in disguise, something I didn't have, a happy childhood. And then I had four children from the next three wives. Um, my last wife had Charlie and Chandler. And um, then, as I said, I, I lived with a, a, young, a beautiful young lady for seven years. We were engaged, but I just never did feel like I wanted to get married. And so we, she was too young, and I thought, you know, she needed to go out and find somebody more her age so that uh, when I was dead and gone, she wouldn't find herself 45 or 50 and not have a husband. And her, her, better, her better years may be behind her. Uh, I, I've read the Bible about what happens in divorce and, and I, or a loss of a, a spouse, and I really believe that God wants you to focus on Him. And so I found that I focused on God, and so I don't... Uh, do I, do I like the idea of companionship? Of course. Uh, but I have a changed man in August of 2018, and the things I did before, I repented of them, and I don't do them now. So I love everybody. <laughs> I, love, uh, I, I, I love men, not in the inappropriate way. <laughs> Make sure you get that right. I love women. I love puppies. <laughs> I, love, I love children. I've always loved children. So... I've got a lot of love in my life, even when some of my family members have decided not to be a part of it right now. I pray every day they'll come home soon. Uh, so I don't have any present intentions of looking for <laughs> love in all the wrong places. And I don't sit around and think, man, I sure would like to have another wife. I told somebody, I said, when I quit drinking nine years ago, I had a, I told him, I said, I had enough scotch to last three lifetimes. And so I feel like, you know, I've had enough wives to last, last two. <laughs> so I don't know what God has in store for me. He has a, he has a plan because he, he knows the future and he knows the path my life will take. And if I meet someone and I believe God will, I'll feel through the Holy Spirit whether it's someone that I should uh, consider as a companion in my last, hopefully, 20, 25 years in life. Uh, but right now, no plans. Uh, but I, I really enjoy... I've loved how to see how the, the, the women have rallied around and fought for Donald Trump. Uh, and it seems like they kind of somewhat dragged the husbands along. And it's been the same way in this election debacle. It, the women are not happy. And I think the women are waking up their husbands. <laughs> and it's increasing the people that are demanding action. So didn't mean to wander into politics on that question, but uh, I'm available if God ever directs me in that direction. Uh, I keep my options open. How about that, Stuart? Good answer. <laughs> oh, well, here's another question. Uh, Topsy Kretz. Mr. Wood, uh, what were your favorite hobbies growing up as a young man besides practicing law and putting criminals behind bars? <laughs> well, I didn't put criminals behind bars because I was a civil lawyer, not a criminal lawyer, although when I was re representing Richard with the FBI and what they were doing to him. I felt like at times a criminal lawyer. And then I did uh, 20 years of work for the John and Patsy Ramsey and Burke Ramsey and the John Benet Ramsey case. And that at times felt like I was dealing in a little bit of criminal law. Uh, but what I did growing up, I can tell you straight up, I loved baseball. 
I said I found my refuge from the problems at home, at school, and church. I also found them on the baseball field. Uh, so I love playing baseball. I loved uh, playing the guitar and singing. And I love to build model cars. I remember I had a birthday party. I don't know which year, maybe 12. My parents gave me a party. They invited maybe 17 of my friends. I'll use that number. That's an estimate. Uh, and they all brought me a model car kit, and my daddy and I stayed up all night half almost, and I built every one of them. So baseball, guitar and singing, and uh, model cars, those are my hobbies. Amen. LB asked this question, and I think I know the answer, but I'll ask it. I'll let you answer your own question. Well, you can answer them <laughs> for me if you want to, because I know you won't lie. <laughs> LB says, do you have a life verse? My life verse is, if you ask me, I'd tell you that I read the 23rd Psalm every night. And uh, that was part of when I found my faith in August of 2018 was through the 23rd Psalm and potential blindness. But my, if you're asking me, and I assume this is a, a scriptural question. Yeah, they just want to know what your fav- your life verse is. Yeah, it, it would be John 3.21, He that doeth the truth cometh to the light. Good verse. My life life verse is don't ever quit. Keep going. <laughs> Fight on. Amen. Well, let's look at this one. Uh, is there a special friend who has helped you in your journey in life? Gloria paddock well all of my family members and i had some very dear friends some of them dropped off the uh, chart some of my, some of my friends of 30 years just kind of de- denied me after uh the election and the things that were said about me I, I don't think they believe them because they know the body of my life's work but you know i'm controversial and some people just shy away from it and friends that i did a lot of things that i always tried to help just weren't there for me when I needed them, but that's not, I'm not fussing about that. So I, I'm tempted to say that almost every encounter and relationship I've had in life, particularly my school teachers uh, and my baseball coach, coaches, uh, they impacted my life. But in terms of what I needed most is I needed someone to help me spiritually. And I've come to recognize that now. And since I moved to South Carolina. I didn't attend a church regularly, uh, and I found my church home here at Family Bible Fellowship and ran into a guy named Stuart Guthrie who went from being my pastor to my sidekick. And so on my journey since August of 2018 with the Lord, Stuart has been the person that I have looked to for the most advice and guidance because he gives it to me straight out of the Word of God. Also, when he's not available, I'll call old Jaron Jackson because he, uh, Jaron loves the word too. So there have been a variety of people in my last two or three years that have had a lot of impact on me, some bad, people that uh, found their way into my life for reasons that, uh, yeah, well, they were deceiving me. But the people that, have, that I have found that share my faith and love of Jesus Christ, they each have an impact on my life. But I'll put old Stuart up at the top. And having put you up there now, don't <laughs> charge me for being my sidekick and doing this show. <laughs> well, I tell you what, it is my pleasure, and you've become a dear friend, and, well, and I appreciate we're you. We're brothers in Christ. Amen. Amen.
So here, um, have you, uh, hey there, asked this question. <laughs> hey there, hey there. <laughs> have you changed any of your likes or dislikes since you have found Jesus? Or as you said, as Jesus found you? Well, he changed my life. Now, I'm the same person, but I have a different view of the world around me because I try to see things from the spiritual world to explain the things that are happening in the real world. I've come to realize the real world is a lie. Uh, I obviously spend more time. I'll tell you the thing I like to do most. I like to pray. I spend a fair amount of time every day in various places and I'll just pull off to my side and I'll talk to Jesus, my best friend. And if I'm not sure about a decision, I try to take it to Jesus in prayer. If I feel good about what I'm doing, that's kind of the instinct. I think, I think that's the Holy Spirit. And, you know, I'll, I'll go with my gut, so to speak. But when I have questions, and I've had a lot of them in the recent last couple of years, and I've had a growing level of discernment where I take more and more uh, to Jesus in prayer. Uh, and I like to do it. Uh, I haven't had as much time as I wanted to because of the things that have happened to me to go out and enjoy the, the beautiful land that God blessed me with being the steward of here at Tamatley and Cotton Hall and Huspa. Uh, so I'm looking forward to doing that more. That would be a big like. And uh, I guess I've grown even closer to my puppies, although I was always close to my puppies as, as I grew up and had them. Uh, I don't like uh, and don't watch television. Uh, I don't like the media, but that's been an increasing dislike since the Richard Jewell case. And I don't, uh, I love people that tell the truth, that they're honest. I like them. I don't like people that lie and cheat and deceive you and take advantage of you and use you. But I have learned in my spiritual journey to forgive them. And to pray for them. One of the toughest things I had to learn to do was to pray for my enemies. Uh, but I realized that the person in the flesh is not the problem. The problem is the spirit of the Antichrist. So they do things and they don't know what they're doing. And so I pray for them. And if God saves them, if they find Jesus Christ, my enemy becomes my brother or my sister. So that's the highlights of the likes and the dislikes. Good. This one, I think, is an interesting question. And um, it comes from Brenda Laurel. And she says, what was it that caused you to see and understand that even though you had worldly wealth, you needed a savior? <laughs> Well, I never, I never really had worldly wealth in the sense that a lot of people think. They go, well, Wood's a multimillionaire. Well, I, thanks to the DeVita case, I did become a multimillionaire, and I, I invested it over time. I decided in March of 2020 to get out of the stock market, and I then was led. I thought, felt the Spirit of God to buy Tamatley. Pure, didn't come looking for land, but I saw Tamatley, and I felt like God wanted me to buy it. Didn't know what I was going to do with it. So he had provided me the wealth to buy this land. Uh, now most of my other wealth is kind of gone because of all the uh, attorney's fees and 
the fact that I can't practice law and make an income. So I, I don't sit around and think of myself as a wealthy man at all. And I never did. I had financial success. Uh, but I never was a, I didn't compete. I didn't, I didn't care about having more money than somebody. I had friends that wanted to die with the most money. I, well, that wasn't me. Uh, so wealth never really came into play with me in terms of how I came to believe in Jesus Christ. It was, it was from the eye surgery that I had where I had developed degeneratively a macular hole in my left eye that could cause blindness. And I knew the surgery had a high success rate if done by a competent doctor, and I got a good recommendation and had it done. And then I knew that I would give it up my all on the rehab and try to do whatever I could if I got through the surgery to make sure I saved my sight. And that's when I found the Lord because I realized for the first time in my life that I was deteriorating. It was a degenerative condition. And I started asking myself the question because I had to keep my head bowed literally in a uh, vitrectomy chair. You couldn't lift your head up because of the gas bubble they put in your eye where they drained the vitreous fluid during the repair. You had to keep your head down so it acted as a Band-Aid on the macular, and if you lifted it up, it would potentially harm the retina. So during 10 days with my head bowed, I started thinking long and hard about what, what is this all about? You know, I'm really, I'm going to die. And when I came to that realization and started thinking about uh, the purpose of life, I went through the common sense type of approach I've always taken. If something makes perfect sense, it's perfect truth. If, it's, if it makes sense, that's usually true. If it doesn't make sense, watch out. Nonsense is nonsense. That's a lie. And I came to realize with my head bowed, uh, and I could still read, even though I had a patch over one eye for a few days, reading the 23rd Psalm, I realized that the only thing that made perfect sense that explained everything from beginning to end is that God is real. And that's when I gave him my life. So it wasn't, it was never about money for me. Money has, you know, I feel like sometimes I know with fight back when we seek donations and I, I think there's got to be people out there thinking, well, Wood's got millions and millions of dollars. Well, <laughs> I wish I did. I mean, I've got it in land. I tell people I can't take dirt up to the grocery store and buy anything with it, but I'm not complaining. God has always met my needs. I thought it was me to have a comfortable income as a lawyer. Uh, I always had a nice home, not anything you know, middle class, even upper, maybe upper middle class in my lifestyle. I loved cars. That goes back to the car, model car day. Uh, but I was never an extravagant person. I never spent money. Uh, I spent a lot on my family. We, we traveled uh, for summer vacations at Siesta Key. That's another story for another day, too. Uh, and I tried to always take them skiing, and I uh, invested in my daughter's love for horses. I had a pony and a, a horse that I bought her. And uh, if you think kids are expensive, wait until you get a horse or a pony. <laughs> Watch out. And so, but I enjoyed it. I enjoyed having the money to be able to give her that love of horses. She's now an equine vet, and uh, do the horse shows. and And uh, I would go with her. I even rode with her for ten years. I got my own horse and I would uh, I competed against her in one horse show up at Chateau Alain and it was an open class and so here I am with 10 or 11 people and my, my daughter who's probably 9 years old, 10 years old at the time and 
I won all three classes and got the blue ribbon. And, man, do you think I didn't hear that from some of the ladies around there? How did you beat your daughter? I said, hey, hey, hey. <laughs> it wouldn't mean anything for her if I rolled over and didn't beat her. But, boy, I tell you, she can ride a horse. And mm -hmm. uh, I was okay at it. But uh, I just have always felt like there was so much more to life than money. And that's why I know that God was always working with me mm. and didn't let me go down the path of seeking fame and fortune. And, uh, but never cared much about recognition for what I did as a lawyer. I always would give recognition to those that helped me or to the client. Mm. So I give God all the praise and all the glory for that. He made me into the person I am today and he knows what my future is going to be. And I try to listen to him as best I can. And, and, uh, Try to follow the path that he knows my life is supposed to take. Mm. Money, having money was not part of it for me. Amen. I use it as a blessing. And when I have an opportunity, I try to take it as a blessing. And I'm a delivery boy, and I try to use it to help other people. That not looking for good deeds or good works, good acts. That doesn't mean anything to God. I think Stuart and I have talked about it. And he, you know, Good acts are like dirty rags to God. You get there by the gift of God, the love and the mercy and the the gift of salvation and eternal life. Mm -hmm. So uh, I've always had enough. Enough's always enough. Too much is too much. And too little is too little. God's always blessed me with enough. He's taken care of me. So we'll wrap up uh, episode seven. I'm going to have to feed Stuart, and then we're going to come back and try to do episode eight uh, and uh, give you all a chance to continue to let me answer some of your questions about my life's journey i appreciate your interest in it and while i don't really like to talk about myself uh every one of you have a testimony every one of you has a past and you can't change your past but you can learn from it and i think if more people were able to sit down honestly and talk about themselves and to give their own testimony to other people you learned that we, we're all so much more alike than we are different. We all have individual parts of our past that others don't have, but we really have so much more in common, and we just need to communicate and be open and honest with people about it. So God bless each and every one of you for listening. Stay tuned soon for episode, uh, what is it, eight? So we'll wrap up episode seven now. God bless you, and we'll talk soon. <laughs>